are going to be talking about investing in the metaverse. And more specifically, Roundhill Investment has created a new metaverse ETF. So joining us today, we have myself, Macro108, fellow co-host Steve Pally, and Mario Stephanidis, VP of Research from Roundhill Investments. Welcome, Mario. Yeah, thanks so much, Joe and Steve. Happy to be on. Yeah, great to have you. So you're in Greece right now, right? Yeah, I'm um, going to be here for five or six weeks, um, just taking full advantage of the ability to work remotely. And luckily, my internet uh, is good enough to facilitate stuff like this. That sounds lovely. Where are you located in Greece, specifically? Yeah, so I'm in the northeastern part, um, the second biggest city, Thessaloniki. Um, I'm about 30 miles south right now I'm in our vacation house. That's awesome, dude. <laughs> well, welcome to the show. I'm going to jump right in and start uh, firing questions at you. And my main question is probably the same question that uh, you know our audience is most interested in: is why now? Why a metaverse ETF? Why do you see this as being an opportunity? And how big do you think the opportunity is uh, this year and going forward? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, it's a great question, and. You know, when you think about the metaverse and the companies responsible for building it, you know, it's still very much in the early innings. But we think that now that all the infrastructure is getting fleshed out for the metaverse, there's really no better time to start covering the sector, to start um, investing in the companies that are going to be at the forefront of this revolution. And I think Mark Zuckerberg's comments last week um, that Facebook is going to be creating a dedicated product team for the metaverse was kind of the best possible endorsement we could have that now was the right time to um, explore uh, a fund tracking the sector. And um, yeah, you had asked about the market size. So um, there's a few estimates out there. Um, uh, Bloomberg Intelligence estimates that uh, it's going to be an $800 billion market um, mm -hmm. by 2025. Um, ARC Research estimates $400 billion, but I would note that these are pretty limited market sizes. Um, for example, the Bloomberg estimate really is only focused on the experience aspect. So when you take, for example, the totality of gaming and media, um, which is going to be used to populate the metaverse, of course, the metaverse, kind of like what Fortnite is trying to do, is going to be seeded with these types of huge uncapped experiences. Um, that's going to be about an $800 billion opportunity in five years. But we think that the metaverse also includes relevant computing companies, relevant digital infrastructure companies, um, I think really the metaverse goes a lot deeper than just the experience layer. Right. Because even that technology that drives the experience in the first place, right? Otherwise you don't have it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, graphics cards manufacturers, like they've pretty much all stated that the metaverse is a, a goal of theirs and, you know, the computing power behind it is going to need to be immense, but um, you need uh, infrastructure backing it for it to ever come to fruition at all. Got it. All right, switching gears a little bit, why don't you tell us a little bit about Roundhill? What kind of firm is it? Uh, how big is it? And what is your role specifically, Mario? Yeah, so Roundhill Investments is an uh, SEC registered investment advisor um, with about $600 million in assets under management. Um, our business is primarily in launching thematic ETFs, so ETFs that track a specific sector of the market. Um, and uh, kind of investing in those particular sub-themes on behalf of our investors. Um, and in return, you know, through the ETF wrapper, we collect the fee. 
Um, this type of thematic issuance has really grown, uh, especially over the last five years. Um, firms like ARC, who have um, built a niche out in the space, have really um, expanded the opportunity for everyone to take part in it. Um, and now uh, my role in the firm is I'm the vice president of research, so I'm responsible for um, formulating um, a lot of our uh, research, a lot of our content, and um, helping drive um, new thematic innovation by launching new products that we think our investors will love. Got it. And real fast, what is what is your background? Do you come from Wall Street? Or are you an analyst? Yeah, so I have a buy side background. Um, I after college, I spent a little over three years uh, at BlackRock in the global fixed income group, mm -hmm. um, mainly helping um, uh, institutional clients uh, allocate to fixed income, um, as well as um, working on the fixed income ETF side. Um, so yeah, kind of still within that ETF realm, but instead of doing bonds, um, now I'm doing stocks. And instead of um, you know BlackRock, which is a, a pretty large firm, I'm now um, trying to help start something from um, essentially uh, the ground up. Great. Awesome. And so Mario, when looking at the current composition of this metaverse ETF in terms of like constituent companies, you know, one thing that kind of jumped out to me was in terms of the makeup, like you mentioned Facebook, for example, but in terms of the number one holdings as part of the, the Metaverse mm -hmm. ETF, we see that NVIDIA is number one and companies that we would more normally associate with the ETF, whether it's like, whether it's Facebook or Roblox are much further down. Could you talk to us about how this collection of companies was put together? And I, I know there's a relationship with this guy, yeah. Matthew Balk. So maybe you could provide us a little bit of background and context in terms of the, the makeup and how those companies were decided upon. Yeah, and I think now is probably um, as good a time as ever to clarify um, our relationship with the fund. So um, we are the advisor for the fund, but we license the index from um, Matthew Ball, who is a metaverse um, essayist and strategist, I would argue probably the most well-known name um, in the metaverse space, um, yep. and again, being cited by Mark Zuckerberg last week. Um, uh, for right. his for his content, um, and he has an expert council, um, and which is essentially an index committee that is uh, coming up with the names and the weightings for the securities that are in um, the index that we track every quarter. Um, part of that process involves allocating between seven different um, buckets, which Matthew Ball and team believe um, are all components of the metaverse, and these are computing, networking virtual platforms, interchange standards, payments, contents, assets, and identity services, and hardware. So um, depending on how the team buckets um, the individual uh, companies that they track, and they track you know, well more than the 50 companies that are in the index, um, they will come up with a weighting um, based on the subscores within, within each of the buckets that they're allocating to. So when you see something like NVIDIA at the top, you can imagine either it was um, in multiple of those buckets um, and probably at a relatively high subscore. Got it. Okay. So there's like some classification system that Matthew Ball has, and I totally agree with you. He's yeah. certainly the most well-known amongst people writing about metaverse and opining on the metaverse. And then, so is, is this some kind of licensing relationship where he does the stock selection and you guys sort of manage the fund? And is that your, the general relationship that you have when you are building out these sort of thematic ETFs? 
So all of our thematic ETFs are have have been uh, a bit different so far. You know, in the case of this one, um, we're licensing. You know, in, in exchange for you know a, a, a some of uh, the uh, fees that we're deriving. Um, we're licensing the index, leveraging his marketing content, et cetera. Um, other of our funds um, have slightly different agreements. Um, and this is kind of the first time we've done a um, first party agreement where we're directly uh, leveraging another individual or group of individuals um, to come up with the composition for one of our funds. Um, we also have funds that um, we manage completely in-house. Uh, we come up with the index ourselves. So, for example, um, our ETF okay. nerd, uh, which is uh, the Roundhill um, Big Craft uh, Esports Index, we're coming up with that on a quarterly basis, uh, retaining all the economics there. And then with something like sports betting with our fund bets, um, the Roundhill Sports Betting and iGaming Index, we're doing the same thing on a quarterly basis. Oh, interesting. I, di I didn't know you had a relationship with Bitcraft. Co coincidentally, Bitcraft is an investor in, in my gaming studio as well. So that's that's great. <laughs> Yeah, they, they were the um, VC that um, helped found the firm, essentially, uh, after we launched Nerd, which was the first fund in 2019. Okay. Steve, did you have questions? Yeah. Um, so let's see. Roundhill has a number of different ETFs. And um, I'm an ETF guy. I invest in a number of, of ETFs myself, uh, mm -hmm. mostly through ARC at this point in time. Uh, but you guys have a number of pretty interesting <laughs> themes that you're working on. Uh, I was wondering if you could tell our audience what the benefits of investing in ETF are, generally speaking. Um, why would yeah. anybody want to invest in an ETF? Yeah, so I think one of the biggest benefits is instant diversification. So mm -hmm. when you buy into an ETF, um, you're instantly buying anywhere between 20 and 50 names Um within that portfolio, you know, in the case of ARC, they do things a little differently where the funds are um, very active, not necessarily conforming to a theme, um, but, you know, in the case of ARKK, for example, all um, within the um, spectrum of innovation. You know, when it comes to our thematic ETFs, when you purchase something like a, uh, one of our, like our sports betting ETF or our esports ETF, you know that all of those companies in that portfolio are going to have been, um, vetted by us as being thematically relevant. So, you know, in the case of uh, Meta, uh, you really don't need to go out and um, find, you know, 30 or 40 names that you think are going to be part of uh, the future of the metaverse. You can um, buy the fee and in exchange, buy the ETF in exchange for a 75 basis point fee, um, will manage the fund uh, for you, essentially. Got it. And does that include sort of updating the index, um, and reweighting, and, and so forth? Yeah, exactly. So um, in the case of Meta, the index is um, getting reweighted and reconstituted on a quarterly basis. Um, and, you know, if something uh, drifts in weight and Matt and his expert counsel deem that it continues to be relevant, it'll again be upweighted um, and you'll kind of uh, ensure that you're diversified across that basis as well. As well rather than um, names drifting too much within the quarter and um, not being on top of it and uh, potentially having a misweight in your portfolio. Got it. And you you referenced a 75 basis point fee. Um, how typical is that uh, as far as ETFs go? Yeah, so um, 
I think, again, it depends on um, what type of ETF you're looking at. I think for thematic ETFs, uh, it's pretty typical. Um, I would say anywhere in the 60 to 80 basis point range is what you typically mm -hmm. see for thematics. Um, and I think the slightly higher fee um, relative to something like a pure index fund that tracks the S&P 500 that you might get for a single digit cost is um, a lot of these thematics have um, the potential for um, greater growth. But of course, with that growth comes um, more volatility. But part of that more nuanced exposure is what um, you're essentially paying a premium for to the manager. Got it. Speaking of growth and volatility, I, I have a question, which is um, how correlated are the stocks in the index right now? And are they supposed to become more correlated over time as the metaverse sort of, like, sort of grows into the opportunity and these companies kind of grow together? Because it seems to me that something like NVIDIA and another stock, Roblox, both of which are mm -hmm. fairly high up in the index, are not necessarily correlated very much right now. Yeah, I, I think um, they're all related to the theme uh, or the sector, rather, of the metaverse, but um, they're more correlated within their individual buckets. So I think when you take a look at something like um, uh, the like experiences in media, which is what companies like Facebook and Roblox are driving, I think those have potential to be more correlated. But then when you look sure. at graphics card manufacturers like NVIDIA and AMD, um, which are uh, in the index, um, you have correlation there as well. So I don't think the correlations um, within all 50 names that are currently in the uh, portfolio is, is super high, but I think within those individual um, sub-segments, um, you do have correlation. But part of having um, the approach where we have um, the seven different um, uh, buckets that constitute the index is that you are diversified um, on, on a total basis when you think of the entire constitution of the index. Got it. That makes sense. And as the metaverse opportunity expands, one can imagine, you know, NVIDIA's revenue deriving more and more from metaverse-like opportunities. I mean, right now, you know, they're making GPUs and increasingly machine learning, uh, you know, yeah. type chips, but that could change over the next five years, kind of what you're getting at, right? Yeah. And, you know, in NVIDIA's case, I think they're one of the most interesting companies um, in the fund and the index because... For them to pivot into the metaverse, it's not necessarily a total change of strategy, but it's something more organic because they right. already have the computing power through their GPUs um, to facilitate these very, very large virtual worlds. I mean, when you think about um, uh, enthusiast gamers and um, the cards they're using, it's almost exclusively dedicated GPUs from either NVIDIA or AMD. So these companies have really honed in on um, this strategy of uh high computing power, um, having the GPU be um, a standalone instrument for compute versus relying on something like the CPU, um, which is also where you see opportunities in um, blockchain and, and, and mining. Mm -hmm. Got it. And Mario, when it comes to this, the, the Metaverse ETF, do you have any specific performance expectations? So you mentioned ARC before, and, and with ARC, you know, they set for example, a five-year time horizon and specific targets with respect to return. Is there anything like that from you guys with respect to the Metaverse ETF? No, there's there's no target for us with um, respect to return. Um, I think you know when it comes to all of our themes, uh, we do think that they're all um, driving uh, innovation and they're all going to be part of um, the future economy heavily, um, much more than they are now um, in the case of something like um, esports or, or sports betting. Um, but it's you know really hard for us to 
uh, look forward and say, oh, this is going to return 20% or this is going to return 30%. I think it, it, it's really hard for any asset class to say, um, you know, we're expecting a 30% caker. You know, I, I think if anything was guaranteed to return 30%, um, it would be super saturated and the valuation would be so stretched to the point where you're probably not going to get that return as a public investor to begin with. Given some of the ambiguity with the metaverse, do, do you have, um, would you, or would you recommend that, uh, that some of the investors in metaverse be more longer term? So for example, like, mm -hmm. let, let's take Tesla as an example, you know, long-term holders of Tesla are obviously super well rewarded and the theme against electrification, transportation as a utility and some of the stuff that Tesla was doing was absolutely correct. And, and, you know, Tesla saw like an early pop in 2013, but then was like range bound until mm -hmm. early last year. Right. And so for a metaverse ETF in which there may be, you know, sudden spiky sorts of, you know, uh, developments, do, do you worry that in some cases, because it's so hard to predict that the people that do hold the metaverse ETF should be more longer term holders, or do you expect more of a gradual, steady kind of, you know, increase in, in terms of the names that are being held. Yeah. I, and I think, again, one of the benefits of an ETF is that you remove some of that idiosyncratic risk. Like, let's say you're holding only Facebook and right. something happens there and they drop the ball and um, completely um, exit from any metaverse related um, developments. You know, you're going to have another 49 names in, in, in the fund with which to um, kind of back up and, and, and take its place. Um, and again, part of the benefit with um, the ETF and the index is that the committee is assessing these decisions every quarter and ensuring that it remains relevant to the metaverse sector over time. Um, but that being said, certainly the metaverse is going to take a number of years to come to fruition. I mean, it's still extremely early innings. Um, you know, you think about a game like Roblox, for example, they've made leaps and bounds with their capacity limits within their um reality engine. Um, you know, I remember when I used to play like almost 15 years ago now, they can they, they could only hold 12 people in a server and now it's up to 700 in the beta. Well, the metaverse is going to require millions of concurrent users simultaneously. And you're not going to have that overnight and you're not going to have that within five years. But within a decade or two, I think you're going to get a lot closer um, to, a, to a place where you see a lot of the objectives currently outlined um, for the metaverse come to fruition. So I think when you think about the metaverse um, in its totality and you think about the ETF, um, you're certainly going to need to adopt a long holding period um, to see the theme fully build out. Right. And just to kind of go back to one of the points that Steve asked you about in terms of the advantages of kind of buying into the metaverse ETF, would you say that the main advantage is really around convenience because you guys are updating the names and, you know, versus like an individual or retail investor just having to go and, you know, like replicate your, your ETF um, mm -hmm. and, and kind of, uh, uh, you know, having to manage and update those, like whether it's 25 or 30 names, is that, so is the main advantage around convenience, would you say, or are there any other advantages? So I would say first and foremost, the main advantage is leveraging Matthew Ball's expertise and his expert counsel. Um, I think, you know, that type of thought leadership is, is very much proprietary and that kind of reflects in um, how the index is constructed itself. Uh, I think 
it definitely is an advantage though that you are that diversified you are holding names from a number of countries and all of those names are getting um traded quarterly um to bring their weights back in line with what the expert council uh has as their expectations uh you think about the geographic breakdown of meta right now where 76% united states 10% china the rest of the balance is mostly in uh, other asian and european economies as a us investor it's very difficult to invest in those especially at small size mm-hmm. um you know if you look at um international trading on your brokerage um the lot sizes that you need to execute at to avoid disproportionate fees are really high um and part of that convenience is that our fund meta right now is trading at a net asset value of $15 or close to it um so with just 15 bucks you can buy one share allocating proportionally across all of these names and simultaneously leveraging the right. expertise and thought leadership of Matthew Ball and his team. Okay. And then I just have one last question which is uh internally with respect to the performance of the ETF itself as a as a vehicle for you guys. Do you guys have any sort of targets with respect to how well subscribed the ETF becomes and what what have what has been the early feedback in terms of the ETF itself? Like how how yeah. like what kind of feedback are you getting so far? Yeah, so we could not be happier with the initial feedback that we had. Um the fund has grown from seed um which was one and a half million dollars to um just about forty million dollars as of today in less than a month. Uh and that's driven entirely or almost entirely by retail investors putting in tickets to their brokerage under three hundred shares. So we're really elated with how um you know normal individual investors have um uh bought into and subscribed to this product. Um I think one of the good things about an ETF is that we don't need a um certain capacity to execute uh, our strategy. Um because the way the ETF ecosystem works and the way um in-kind uh redemptions and creations work um with um the authorized participants that underlie the Uh, entire uh, ETF ecosystem is that we can execute our strategy at 1.5 million, we can execute our strategy at 40 million or 400 million. Um and you know there's not really a a, a threshold that um prevents us um from doing our job effectively. Uh-huh. That's interesting. And on top of that, you get to do it in a pretty tax effective or efficient way, correct? That's what enables yeah. you to rebalance quarterly. Yeah, the ETF structure is um just inherently um tax efficient um on the whole more more tax efficient than mutual funds all you have to do is um look into um the average capital gains doled out by mutual funds and the average capital gains um uh, paid by ETFs on an annual basis and you'll find that ETFs in the aggregate are more tax efficient um again just due to their structure i i won't get into the particular nuances of, of why but um just the ability to um create and redeem um uh with the frequency that um ETFs are allowed to do so um and without affecting um the market value of the individual constituents or having to raise cash by selling down um the individual holdings is something that's massively beneficial to ETF investors. Right. And Mar- Mario actually I did have one last one, one other additional question. So when you when you spoke about like this specific ETF having a larger retail audience Could mm-hmm. you speak to that is is that based upon the theme like is this typical in terms of the makeup of institutional versus retail and then how would you market this ETF different from another if this is more retail oriented So I think part of it depends on the firm and their strategy and another part depends on 
um, the actual composition of the product um, and, okay. and the marketing of that product. Um, I know my experience with iShares, and this is on the fixed income side, and fixed income is definitely more institutional than retail, but we would see about 60-40, with the 60 being institutional. You know, at Roundhill, um, when we look at um, the 13Fs um, of the firms that are, of the large firms that have to report their holdings on, on a quarterly basis, um, we see that only about 5 to 10% of our entire asset base is institutional. Um, so I think this type of thematic re revolution, as, a, as we like to call it, has been more driven by individuals as a whole. And then with something like Meta and, and, and the Metaverse ETF, um, I think individuals really understand um, the appeal uh, of a product like that. And it's also individuals who kind of subscribe to Matthew Ball's thought leadership and um, believe in, in, in the future that's being built out. I think it's hard for institutions to grasp, um, you know, exactly the moment, like what, what Fortnite means or what Roblox means um, for, for the overall metaverse ecosystem, but individuals who are like playing those games or have kids who are playing those games um, can really gravitate to it and just see, um, you know, how powerful uh, uh, games like that are. Um, okay. I, I remember looking at uh, flows into uh, video game ETFs, and I'm not saying that is, is a video game ETF, but um, for a fund like Nerd, for example, um, flows on aggregate to video game funds um, versus broader ETFs um, lags on about an eight to one basis. And part of that is because institutions don't understand that um, a lot of these games and these experiences are super profitable, even though the numbers are screaming out to them. Um, so part of it is going to require institutional education, but we couldn't be happier with the amount of retail adoption we've had. Yeah, you're kind of part of that uh, democratization of markets story, along with Robinhood and so on. You guys are pretty new. So I don't know if you have insight into kind of where those retail orders are coming from, but it wouldn't surprise me to learn that you're getting a lot from that direction um, because there is overlap between Fortnite players, Roblox players, and Robinhooders, right? Kind of yeah, folks I mean, in their 20s. For sure. For sure. I mean, Robinhood, um, the median age is um, somewhere in the 30s. The average account size is like in the hundreds rather than the hundreds of thousands with large brokerages right. like Fidelity. And you also have other uh, brokerages coming up like Public, um, which are solely geared to individual investors. Um, and I think this is just all part of a broader um, revolution um, that, you know, you could almost say that the climax was in January and February with the uh, pop that stocks like GameStop and AMC had in um, retail investors feeling empowered and being able to see their trades actually um, uh, reflect in market conditions. Wall Street bets, baby. <laughs> <laughs> That's taking it to the big guys. Absolutely <laughs> exploded. I mean, they have like ten or a ten or eleven million subscribers now. It's it's, it's such a big number. It, it, it's yeah. massive. It's extraordinary. And I think that there, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that there are a few ETFs coming around that are kind of like playing on that type of momentum trade, you know, uh, across yeah. social media, which is fascinating. No, there, there, there certainly are. And uh, I, I can't give away too much, but you can watch us. Uh, for, for, uh, <laughs> watch the space. Along those lines. Yeah, watch the space. That's awesome. All right, Mario, I think those are all the questions that we have. Do you have any final message to the audience in terms of the 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 Metaverse ETF? And how can people get in touch with you if they wanted to reach out to you? 
Yeah, so I'll get into the contact information first and foremost. Um, you can, if you want, reach out to me directly. My email is um, mstephanidis at rentalinvestments.com. It's kind of a mouthful, but I'm sure you'll have my last name uh, somewhere in your description yeah. uh, or, or title. Um, and for more general questions, you can reach out to us at um, info at roundtailinvestments.com. And, um, you know, I think what you guys are doing is so great in, like, empowering retail investors with podcasts like this. You know, a lot of media has cropped up, in, 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 especially in the last two years, just targeting this demographic. And this demographic is going to be super influential and super powerful. Um, you know, Gen Z and millennials, it's not going to take a lot of years for them to um, hold the majority of wealth. And I think it's going to be really interesting to see what direction they choose to go with that wealth. You know, are institutions like private equity or hedge funds going to continue to exist? Or is the strategy going to have to completely change to adopt to these new trends? Um, so, yeah, what you guys are doing is awesome. And, you know, when it comes to meta, uh, you can find us on your favorite brokerage of choice. We have a list of all the brokerages that it's available on brandtillinvestments.com slash ETF slash meta, um, as well as um, some research from our side and a link to uh, Matthew Ball's website where you can find just a whole host of essay content. But be ready to read because I know his latest piece was about yeah. 30,000 words. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> yeah, we'll, yeah, we'll put all those He, he broke it up into nine stuff. parts and it's, a, it's an excellent read, but you may have to break it out um, into a number of days. Wow. Thought leadership takes a while, as it turns out. <laughs> 30,000 uh, words. Uh, yeah, well, it's yeah. massive. <laughs> okay. okay, Mario, thank you so much for your time and for the audience. We'll catch you next time. Thanks, Mario. Thank you. Thanks, guys.